All right, well, if you could turn with me in your Bible, please, to the book of 1 Thessalonians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 1. I want to speak to you here tonight and uh, give a little bit of a visionary message for what's possible in just a short period of time. You know, um, as I've traveled and as I've preached, I've had the privilege on several occasions of sticking around at a meeting where I've been able to do the war and to go back out into the community where young people had gotten saved through our ministry and actually to show up at their door. I know that may sound a little bit strange, but when you travel week after week after week and do what we do often, we don't get a chance to do that. Uh, normally, we leave the young people. Uh, you know, I, I kind of liken it to this. We're the midwives. Y'all are the parents, okay? And, and yet, um, there were several times back in 2020, the beginning of the year before things went crazy in our society, um, I had three meetings in a row where I had an extra week in between them. Um, and honestly, back at that time, I was discouraged. Uh, you know, as a young evangelist, you know, you kind of want the meetings to be chock full and no gaps and no breaks. And we've got that here this year. And boy, a break would be nice. But anyway, <coughs> we were there that week and I'd asked the churches, I said, hey, can we stick around for an extra week and can we help you with follow up? And of course, uh, the churches were all about that. And I'll never forget there, um, as we and my guys went and we got all of the decision cards and we put them all in a spreadsheet and we got them onto a map so that we could see where they were all at. We spent pretty much all day while the teens were out of school going to their houses and following up with these young people because I, I wanted to see. Oh, I wanted to see what God was doing in their lives after the meeting was done. You know, when you've traveled like I have and when you've seen lots of people saved, you just don't know what's going on in their lives and in their hearts and in their homes after you leave. And um, I kind of developed over those three opportunities, I developed kind of a little bit of a spiel that I would go through with the kids. We'd show up at their door, and if the young person was home, I would say to the young person, I would say, hey, we just wanted to thank you so much for coming out to the war, and they'd be all happy and excited to see us again and everything. And I'd say to them, I'd say, hey, listen, I want to give you a gift, just as a, a thank you from us and from the church uh, to thank you for coming. And I said, actually, we've got a gift for your parents, and we've got a gift for you. Uh, for the parents, we would bring one of those gospel-focused books like Carrie Schmidt's Done, uh, just an excellent gospel resource. And uh, we would give that, and we would say, if you could please give this to your parents and tell them we're just so thankful for them letting you come to our meeting. But then I would say, and I've got two gifts for you. I've got, got two things. One is this sticker. And the sticker is a 0-100 sticker. Okay, How many, have you all heard Dr. Jim's message, 0-100? Have many of you heard that? If you've not heard that, he might preach it when he comes for your revival meeting, but I tell you, that's just an outstanding message. It is foundational when it comes to the Christian life. But you know, one of the things that I would tell them is I would say, I want to give you this sticker as a reminder of the decision you made at the war. And I would, I would point at the sticker and I would say to them, I would ask them this, I would say, how much of the saving did you do? And they almost every time would point at the zero and say, zero. And I say, how much of the saving did Jesus do? And they would point at that 100 and they would say, 
100%. And okay, for me, that was exciting just to see that they clearly remembered what had happened in their hearts. And I would then be able to tell them, you know what, that's exactly how you live the Christian life. The Christian life is 0% of you doing the delivering. And it's 100% Jesus who lives in you now doing the delivering as you depend upon him to do it. But then I would give them one other thing. This is a quadfold pamphlet called The Battle Plan for Victory. And uh, this is a topically organized um, uh, verse uh, lookup tool that young people can use to find um, what God says about their issues in their life. And here's, here's where I'm going with this. I would ask them this question. I would say, you know, I'll bet you since you've made this decision, there are probably things in your life you never thought twice about before you got saved that since you've gotten saved, you feel really uncomfortable with. Has that been the case for you? Every one of them but one who was a junior higher and their brains haven't fully developed yet anyway, every one of them said, yeah, what in the world is that? And I'd look at them and I'd say, that's God the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And the reason why he's making you feel uncomfortable about those things is because those are things that don't please God. Those are things that grieve him. And God loves you so much. He is going to work in your heart and make you feel uncomfortable at doing things that are going to destroy you. And I'd say to them, I'd say, listen, it's a very good thing to listen when God is talking in your heart like that, to listen to what he says. But let me take it a step further. You need to look up and see what he says in the word. And I would point them to that topically organized verse reference. And you know, for me, over those several weeks as I got a chance to follow up with these young people, I was impressed with how the Spirit of God was alive and well in these brand new baby Christians. But you know, honestly, as I travel, as often, my itinerary whisks me off to the next church after I leave, and um, I leave them all to y'all, okay, and you are the ones that get a chance to see what's happening in their hearts and in their lives. It's easy to wonder if what happened in their hearts and in their lives was real. It's easy at times when you don't see with your own very eyes what's going on in their lives to wonder if they're really going to go on for God, if they're really going to grab a hold of God's purpose for their lives, and if they're really going to fully fulfill all that God saved them to fulfill. You know, the Apostle Paul, his heart cry was that he would get what he was gotten for. Philippians chapter 3, I'm not going to preach that message here tonight. But you know, when you don't see it, it's easy to worry. And it's easy to wonder what's going on. And it's easy, in fact, at times to get discouraged. But what I want to do here tonight is I want to take a look at an instance in the New Testament where... God showed up in an evangelistic outreach. And where after God showed up, the preacher was whisked away. In fact, all of the godly influences in these people's lives were pretty much cut off from them. And these poor baby Christians were left to fend for themselves. And I want us to take a look at what God did there. And here's why. Because I want us to take a look at what God can do here this week. 
In the book of Acts, don't turn there for the sake of time, but we read in Paul's missionary journeys that he often would come into a city with a team traveling along with them. And their God-given call was in that city to preach the gospel, to see people saved, and to assemble together that new group of baby Christians and train them in how to be a good functioning New Testament Baptist church. And you see throughout the New Testament, throughout the book of Acts, Paul doing just that. Um, in his first missionary journey, you know, he did prim ministered primarily in Asia Minor and the island to the south of it. But on his second missionary journey, God led him all the way to the west of Asia Minor, and God called him to go across the Aegean Sea to the peninsula known as the Grecian Peninsula. There, as he arrived at that new, brand new virgin soil for the gospel, he ministered in the city of Philippi first. And if you know the story, people got saved. God opened people's hearts. People were ripe and ready to receive the gospel but before his evangelistic endeavors were done there, he ended up in jail. But God shook the house, and God brought that jailer and his family to Jesus Christ. It's just another amazing example of how God can move the gospel forward, even in spite of incredible persecution, opposition, and crises. And yet as Paul continued down the Ignatian Way, he ended up in the city of Thessalonica. This city was a strategic city in the Roman Empire. This was a self-sufficient city. This was a city that prided themselves on, on their own resources. And this city was a city that was ripe for the gospel. When Paul pulled into town there, he preached as he often did. And in fact, in the book of Acts, I think it's chapter 17. Yes, it's chapter 17. Uh, Paul, it says he, he reasoned with them. He argued with them. He preached to them and taught them three Sabbath days. Now I'm going to ask you a question, and this question may not seem like it's a very profound question at the start, but this question is actually a big deal for the point that I'm going to be making here this evening. If he preached to them, Three Sabbath days. How long would he have been with them? Let's try that again. Let's try it in unison. If he preached to them three Sabbath days, how long would he have been with them? Three weeks, at least. Maybe you could say a little over three weeks, three and a half, maybe four if he left on Monday and arrived on Friday. But, you know, okay, three weeks is a pretty good guesstimate there. Paul was with them for three weeks. After three weeks, the opposition from the uh, Jew Jewish population there in that town got so heated. They got so up in arms over his preaching. They got so angry, so jealous, so murderous that they ran Paul out of town. And Paul was whisked further down the Ignatian Way to the next city called Berea. There in Berea, he preached the gospel again, and of course, they examined the scripture to see whether that's really what the Old Testament was talking about, and of course, they found that it was what it was talking about, but I say all of that to say Paul didn't go back to Thessalonica after that. In fact, he went further down the Grecian Peninsula to Athens. He preached the gospel there, and if you study Paul's interaction with the Thessalonians, what you will discover is this. Paul, in his heart, was so burdened for those brand new baby Christians back in Thessalonica, he had a hard time focusing on what he was doing. He inside was so torn up that these baby Christians that he'd only had a short period of time to minister to were now without their discipler. They were now without those that came and made a big impact in their lives. And he was concerned, 
What happened to them? Are they still following God? Is God still alive and well in their hearts? Was it the real deal what happened to them? Are they even still alive physically? And because Paul was so concerned when he was there in Athens, he sent one of his disciples, one of his team members, Timothy, to travel back up to Thessalonica and find out what in the world was going on. Are they still alive? Are they still following God? Are they still assembling? Are they still obeying? Or have they fallen off the map? Well, this letter here, the, letter to the, uh, uh, the first letter to the Thessalonians, is Paul's reaction to the news that he had heard. And what he heard blew him away. In fact, that being said, let's look at verse 1 of chapter 1 here. Paul and Silvanus and Timotheus unto the church of the Thessalonians, which is in God the Father and in the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be unto you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith and labor of love and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of God and our Father, knowing, brethren, beloved, your election of God. Now let me summarize his introduction here. Essentially what he's saying is this. I've been praying for you every day. I've been seeking the face of God for you. Out of sight was not out of mind to me. Just because you drifted beyond my influence did not mean that I stopped seeking to influence God for your good. My heart is for your furtherance, for your good, and for you to follow God with all of your, life, with all of your hearts. And he says here, I remembered as I prayed, I recalled back to mind what I saw in you when I was there. And he says, you know what has warmed my heart? The fact that you Thessalonians were the real deal. You were the real deal. And I, okay, let me pause for a second and just say this. I think that's what we all want to discover a few months from now, right? is that the young people that came to the meeting, not only did they come and pray a prayer and make a decision, but the decision that they made was real. The salvation that they got was real. That they indeed are and forever will be real deal Christians. They are indeed the elect of God, if I can use Paul's terminology here. But here's the thing. <clears throat> I want to know that, and I think you do too. And I don't think we just want to find out that they really got saved and that they're really on their way to heaven, that they're really blood-bought and born again, as much as I think every one of us would be satisfied with that, wouldn't we? Wouldn't we be encouraged to know that 10, 15, 20, 30 teenagers became children of God and are no longer children of the devil? Wouldn't that get you excited? That gets me excited all the time. But Paul wasn't just encouraged that they were saved. He was encouraged at what God had done in them since they had gotten saved. I want to continue reading here because when Paul shares with us the results of what God did in that group of baby Christians, 
in literally a, a several months period of time between when he arrived and when he left. Again, he is writing this letter, we believe, from either Corinth or Ephesus. It's not much longer later. I believe it's Corinth. So it literally would have been on his same missionary journey. He wrote this letter, which would have only been months after he had arrived at Thessalonica. In other words, the, the people he's writing to are only months old in the faith. It'd be like if you wrote a letter to some of the kids that got saved to the war at the war in June, okay? Just to put that in perspective, here's what he said. Verse number five. He recalls first here what happened when he arrived. He said, for our gospel came not unto you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance as ye know what manner of men we were among you for your sake. We're going to come back to that verse in just a second. But look at what happened to them. Verse 6. And ye, you Thessalonians, became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye, I'm going to insert this, baby Christians only a month or two old in the faith, so that ye were in samples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. That'd be like saying a month or two from now that the brand new baby Christians that got saved at the war were examples that anyone in Georgia and Tennessee could rightly follow. Can you imagine that? That's unbelievable what God did. He says, um, not all, but also in every place your faith to Godward is spread abroad so that we need not to speak anything. Do you realize what he's saying at the end of verse 8? He's saying, listen, you all are not only saved, you're not only experiencing God and the ministry, the obvious ministry of the Holy Spirit giving you joy in the midst of difficult situations, but you are examples that any believer in the region could rightly follow. And in fact, you are such godly, spirit-filled, bold examples that you're working us out of a job. We don't need to come back to your region to preach the gospel. Because you're doing it. In fact, the word from you sounded out the word of the Lord. When it says sounded out, the idea of that word is thundered forth. These people were thundering the gospel in their Jerusalem to the point that Paul looked as he assessed his next steps and movements in his strategic advance of the gospel and he looked at Thessalonian and said, they've got it. They've got it under control. These months old baby Christians. Verse 9, he is actually now sharing what he's hearing from those who heard from the Thessalonians. He says, for they themselves show of us what mannering of entering in we had unto you. In other words, I'm running into people as I'm going out and about in my missionary journeys who are telling me what I did when I came to your church, well, your city. They're telling me what happened when I preached there? And the reason why they're telling me is because they heard it from the Thessalonians. Boy, word spreading fast that God did something remarkable in the city of Thessalonica. 
And here's the content of what they were sharing, how ye turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. And he says, listen, y'all are making my job easy because you're doing the work yourself now. That sounds too good to be true in our setting, doesn't it? Can you really imagine if young people from this community, two months from now, are so um, fervent about evangelism and discipleship that you can't seem to find a convert because they've all been talked to by them already? Does that seem like just youthful optimism? Well, I hope you don't say so because that's biblical optimism. You know, again, this isn't necessarily a big old bombastic normal evangelist kind of message here tonight. I'm trying to give you a prayer target here tonight that's right from the Bible. Something that God did and that frankly God wants to do again. And I want to set before you what I really do believe is God's will for this week. How does this kind of thing happen? Well, obviously, I do believe we need to pray that it happens and we need to get alone before the throne of grace and seek him to do what we cannot do because this kind of result is something that's completely beyond us. But the verse that I didn't really focus on is a key part of the equation. Back to verse 5 briefly here. He says, For our gospel came not unto you in word only. You know, it's important to be accurate, isn't it? It's important to preach the book, isn't it? I think we would all agree with that. And yet it is possible to be a word-only preacher. And by that I mean this, to only have the first part of the equation and not the rest that's so absolutely important. Listen, we have called not just to be accurate, we've been called to be full of the Holy Spirit, to be full of the power of God, to be full of the life of Jesus ministering in us and through us. And he says, our gospel came not unto you in word only. I didn't just come in sharing what I know and just declaring the truth. No, I took it a step further. He says, but also in power and in the Holy Ghost and in much assurance. And I just want to say this. If we expect for God to do a work like he did in the Thessalonians, we need to be the kind of Christians that Paul was when he showed up to town. We need to be Christians that, yes, are accurate, but we need to be full of the Holy Ghost. We need to be filled with the power of God. How does that happen? Well, I could preach a whole message, and I'm sure your pastor's preached on this many times from this pulpit before, but let me just say this. We need to be surrendered to God. Amen. Completely and absolutely. We need to be yielded to the will of God. We need to be movable by his spirit. When he speaks, we need to be listening and ready to obey. But we ought not just be surrendered. We must be dependent upon the Holy Spirit as well. We need to step into every nook and cranny of this week, not relying on our own abilities, not relying on the fact that the war team is here. That ain't worth much, okay? We need to be here not relying on the fact that we've done this before and we saw a bunch of young people saved, not relying 
relying on the fact that Joseph gave a testimony of how God did this in the past several weeks, but we need to come before God and say, God, without you, this week won't work. Without your smile from heaven, nobody's going to come. Without your working in hearts and turning the king's heart as the rivers of water, we're not going to get into any schools. And without you bringing these young people here, we'll have no one to preach to. Without your working in hearts, they're going to leave untouched and unfaced. And without the conviction of the Holy Spirit, they will not budge from their seats when that invitation time comes. See, this, this meeting in this week does not work. And really, no meeting works without that power, without the Holy Ghost without the boldness that can only come from a person who is filled with the Spirit of God. But there is one more part of the equation, too, briefly here at the end of the verse. This is the part of the verse that you can easily skip over, right? Because you're looking at it and you're like, oh, man, that's right. I'm not a word-only preacher. I want to be a powerful preacher. I want to be a Spirit-filled preacher. I want to be a preacher that's bold, amen? I don't know what that next part means, so let's move on to the next verse. Don't do that, please. Take a moment and sit on it and think about it. Chew on it. Ask God what he meant when he wrote it. Study it out. And really, actually, I believe that this last phrase is just as important as the first part of the verse. He says, as ye, the ye are the Thessalonians, as ye know what manner or what kind of men we were among you for your sakes. There's a ton that I could say out of this verse, but for sake of time, I won't. One thing I will say is this. They were among their converts. In other words, Paul and his team spent time with those converts. They were among them. If this here was the group of converts, Paul and his team were right there. They were not over here. They were right here. And you know what that means? Y'all are going to need to get back to these kids. Y'all are going to need to be among them, whatever that means. I spend some time talking about that in the training lectures. Shameless plug, okay? But listen, you're going to need to be among them. But it wasn't just that they were among them. He says, you know what manner of men we were. You saw us for who we really were. You observed our life. You saw our character. You saw our walk with God. I imagine that they probably, in the way lodging might have been during that day, they probably saw Paul get up early in the morning and spend time with Jesus. They probably saw him late at night working hard to provide for his needs so that he wouldn't be chargeable to his disciples. They saw that Paul was not there to get something out of them. He was not there to salve his conscience that he had done his duty. He was there among them and his life and what they saw about him bared out the reality in the very last phrase of this verse that was, for your sakes. These people were entirely for their converts. In fact, I, if you study out sometimes chapter 2 and 3 of this letter, Paul goes into great detail about how he sacrificed for them about how much he cared for them, how he was willing to have his financial resources drained for their sake, about how he was willing to allow his very energy and life force be drained 
just so that he could see them go on for God. See, Paul was a man who was committed to his converts. And that puts verse 6 in a slightly different light now. You see, the reason why I believe that the Thessalonians were such amazing examples, the reason why I believe they were committed, faith-filled, evangelistic, true blue Christians, if you will, was because they had a great example in Paul. Paul was and had been what they became. Let me just put it to you this way. Your converts are a reflection of your Christianity. If you want converts that follow Jesus, come what may, then you need to be a Christian who follows Jesus, come what may. If you want these young people to be the kind of Christians that experience the joy of the Holy Spirit in the midst of difficult trials and oppression, then you need to be a Christian who experiences the joy of the Holy Spirit in the midst of trials and oppression. If you want them to be Christians who thunder forth the word of God, who work their preacher out of a job, then you need to be a Christian who thunders forth the word of God and works their preacher out of a job. You need to be a Christian who is exemplary if you want to produce Christians who are exemplary. You know, as I look at this text, as I look at what God did in the Thessalonians, these Thessalonians were not without their issues. Just read chapter 4 sometime, all right? You'll find these exemplary Christians had to be told not to commit fornication. Okay? These kids who come and get saved are going to have issues. But so do you. <laughs> but here's the thing. We've got to give them an example to follow. We've got to be what we are burdened for them to be. We've got to pray that what God does in our hearts, he will do in theirs as well. You know, I've been somewhat general here this evening. I've not gotten in your face or on your toes so much here tonight, but I trust the Spirit of God has. You know, if there are areas in your life where you're unethical in your business dealings, why don't you fix that before this weekend? If there are areas in your life where you're just plain not walking with God, listen, these kids need an example of what it means to walk with God. If you've gotten away from your time with God, if you've gotten away from being what God wants you to be and doing what God's wanting you to do, if you've allowed things into your life that would sully your reputation if the church or these baby Christians knew about it, if your social media feeds are filled with perhaps questionable things, just think about how that might impact those who get saved. But really, I could talk specifics all night long. But really, I think all of those specifics would be solved if we would just surrender to the Holy Spirit. If we would just say yes to God without qualification. So as we pray here this week, as we're seeking God, as we're maybe in our own hearts setting our expectation for what we want to see, listen, please be praying for the team as we go recruiting. Please, let's pray that God will open doors and give us favor with men and that God will bring many young people here to that building to, uh, on Saturday night so they can hear the gospel and be saved because I don't know about you, I'm planning on being filled with the Holy Spirit on Saturday night. I'm planning on preaching the gospel with God's help and I am planning on young people getting saved. 
saved. But if I see young people saved this weekend and you see young people saved this weekend and we just whisk on our merry way and don't show them the example that Paul showed them, we ought not expect the result that we saw in 1 Thessalonians. So are you going to be that kind of example? Lord Jesus, thank you so much for this chance you've given us tonight to meditate on your word and to hear about what's happening here this week. God, I've done my best attempt at presenting the burden that I believe you laid on my heart, and I pray that you would take this burden and this text much farther than I ever could. Lord, I pray that you would lodge this text and this vision in our hearts that we not be able to forget about it. God, I pray as we spend our time with you, you would just burn it into our hearts. And God, I pray that you would enable us to pray it through and to live it through. God, I want to thank you for what you're doing in our midst. And I want to thank you for what you're going to do here this weekend in Jesus' name. Can everyone go ahead and stand here tonight? Everyone go ahead and stand.